Welcome to the Apple of Truth, a podcast where we cover every single episode of the TV show Lucifer while praising the great parts and pointing out the bad parts and diving deeper than you ever knew you needed. Join us for the climax of the show, if you know what we mean. I'm Vero. And I'm Lena. And this is Season 6. Today we're talking about Episode 10. Partners till the end. The final episode of Lucifer. It's a beautiful name and I can't help it. But every time I see it, I think it's a parents till the end. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure what to think there. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of parents, let's see what our parents uh, of this show get up to in this final ever episode. A resolution of the time loop, a glimpse into all the different characters' future lives, a million slow-mo scenes, and an arguably happy ending. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You got it. No need to record. Thanks. Bye. And with that, we say thank you. That would be so fucking hilarious. Do you think like maybe we should release this and then just a day later <laughs> release the actual episode? Oh, God. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> no. For the last time in this TV show, we're going to try to hit the same word for the obsession of the week. And we have to agree because this is our final chance to beat Lucifer's score. I have. It's a single word. Is that okay? I have two. Ooh, okay. If your single word is one of the two I have, then okay. Okay. My single word is calling. Okay. Nope. God damn it. Nope. Sorry, because my obsession of the week is saving Rory, both in the present, past and future. That works. And you're right. Yours is better. So sadly, this means four out of ten. We did not meet the halfway mark. We did not. However, it can make you happier. The fact that most of the time that we did not agree, yours was better. At least in this season. Yeah, this really was my season, you know. The thing I didn't go with purpose or calling because I considered picking purpose is that it is not him who comes to this conclusion by himself. It is spelled out for him by others. So it is not his obsession with his calling that leads him to find his calling, but it is his obsession with saving Rory that helps by proxy Lucifer to realize his calling and his purpose. No, you're absolutely right. Yours is much better. I wasn't feeling very confident about mine anyway. For the last time ever, maybe. We'll see. We have the facts and funds. Seventh time director Sherwin Shilati. Previous episode was Bloody Celestial Karaoke Jam. This is his last episode. Who could have seen that coming, right? And now, 17th time writer Ildi Mordrowicz and 17th time writer Joe Henderson. Well done. Co-wrote this episode. Ildi's previous episode was a lot dirtier than that. And Joe's previous episode was Yabba Dabba Doomy. I know I've mentioned this before because we talked about this in a previous recording, but I am so glad that both of them have the same amount of credits for writing. And I'm pretty sure it was deliberate and I really appreciate it. And 17 is a really, really nice number. Yeah, it kind of shows you that they really were there. They were present, but not over present. I feel like this is a really good... Ratio. A ratio is the word I was looking for, thank you. COVID brain is still a thing, even a while after having COVID. It's very, very annoying. Thirdly, the title is set by Chloe. Right before it is set by Lucifer, but we're only counting the first mention of it. 
giving us a final score of 4 out of 10. And so that means even though we did not meet our 50% margin, we are still at least as good as Lucifer. We did it for him, basically. So he doesn't feel bad. Exactly. As per usual, we have a few IMDb notes. And this time, even though... It could be interpreted as reaching. I'm actually a really big fan of this one. The beginning of the episode takes place on the corners of 10th and Swanson. This episode serves both as the 10th episode of the sixth season as well as the series finale. The saying Swan Song is often used to describe a television show final episode. And as such, this episode intersects on the 10th and Swan Song. You know what? I actually don't think that's reaching in this case. I like it. I really like it. Yeah, it's straightforward enough for me. It's not convoluted that it's quite possible that this is what they actually meant to do. Patrick Fabian returns as Linda's ex-husband Reese. His only other appearance was in Lucifer of the Record, which showed him in a hell loop. In the final scene of the series finale, Reese is in a therapy session with Lucifer because his hell loop still won't end. Thank you, IMDb. However, would we know this unless we, oh, right, watch the entire series? I was really happy to see him come back, though. I love that they brought to the couch somebody that we just saw, somebody that we have met before, and somebody completely random. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Let's go. I know, I, I expected that I have notes on that for you. I would have normally not commented on it. And this concludes the final facts and funs. Okay, well, that was a certainly an interesting one. So this is definitely going to be the final one. And it's definitely not going to be the best one. Aw, don't say that. It's just sad and I, I can't think straight today. So uh, for the last time, previously on Lucifer, Dan possessed Lamech, asked Lucifer for help, talked to Chloe, talked to Trixie, let go of his guilt and got to heaven. Mace and Eve are away for honeymoon. Ames decided to become a god. Lucy gave Ella a science program for kids. Rory traveled back in time to confront Lucifer, but they resolved their issues. And then she got abducted by Lamech. That is very accurate and included everyone we need to talk about. Exactly. Unfortunately, there wasn't any poetic way to do this because it's just very... Dry and factual? No, it's more of a the facts that were needed for this episode were very convoluted, for lack of a better word. It was just really weird because normally it kind of works really well because the episode is more balanced. This time we have pretty much just focused on very specific things. Also, the entire structure of the episode is so weird because we basically have the episode and then after half of the length, we have the wrap-up of everything. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult. Like, for example, it wouldn't be enough for me to say Dan finally got to heaven because the process is important in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, here we are and... This was the last time I was gonna do this. So you're welcome. We appreciate the sacrifice. Thank you. We also appreciate the sacrifice of your voice because you have none. We start this episode with the first of many, many, way too many slow-mos. And I don't know how and why, but when I first watched this episode, I was binging this. And I did not realize how many slow-mos are in this episode. And in this scene, I was like, okay, dramatic slow-mo is being very dramatic. And I was being entertained by it. This is a contention point. 
this is something that is grating on me so quickly because there are so many. You know what? I think that if you binge this, because this was made to be binged, it it gives you a little bit more rhythm within the previous episode that was completely packed with so many things. And now you have to calm down a little bit before the grand finale ending. Even the grand finale ending has slow-mo. So I'm going to go on record. I hate every single slow-mo in this episode with a passion. <laughs> well, we get out of the weird digging noise we're exactly where we finished up with last episode and chloe and lucifer both are asking the same questions we were asking last time how is it possible that a half angel gets snatched by a human that is operating outside of the law so it is more difficult for him to plan things and move around and this was very very fast snatching were you satisfied with their explanation That she has all of Chloe's human vulnerabilities and that is why? This makes me think that that Rory got knocked out in order to be abducted, which is fair enough. My biggest issue is how did they find her? Yeah, I was not really satisfied with this. I understand like for storytelling purposes, we do not have the time to explain this further, which is one of the many instances where I actually wished that the final season had more than 10 episodes. I feel like if we had 13 episodes it would have given them just a tiny bit more time to still wrap up all the characters because I'm gonna say it now, I'm gonna say it many times throughout the episode, I'm gonna say it at the end. I am 95% happy with how every single character got wrapped up. And I think they did a beautiful job with the last season for 95% of the characters. And I feel like if we had two or three more episodes, there would have been enough time to give us this last bit. But I understand timing issues... COVID issues, budget issues that we did not get more episodes. So this I am happy and willing to suspend my disbelief on. I just did not like that basically we have an equation that all of Chloe's human invulnerabilities are her best parts. Because they go, uh, she got Lucifer's angel powers and all of Chloe's human vulnerabilities and then Lucifer going, she got the best of both of us. And I don't like the implicit equation of human vulnerability being a good thing. I get what they're trying to say, but I didn't like it. I think that in that equation, it gets not great if you assume that Lucifer agrees with Chloe's statement. Oh, but if you read it as him saying something else, then it's better. Yes, I can live with that. I think basically the the sentiment is stop saying things like that. He's got the best of both of us. Yeah, that is a much, much better read on this. I still do have a question, though. Where does Lucifer's apparent deep dislike of Frenchmen come from? This is a children's question all over again. Nothing I say will ever satisfy you. French people, not specifically with Lucifer, but if we entertain the idea that Lucifer chose the English accent specifically and purposefully, the English and the French have had a rivalry. Oh yeah, everyone hates the French, that I'm aware of. But so I can put this right next to where his dislike of cats comes from. Cats and children, yes. Good. Well, children, I feel, is at least somewhat addressed throughout the show. He's one of those people who simply dislike children as a whole, but once he gets to know a specific child, it's very different. But cats and Frenchmen, there's no nothing, anything. I mean, chances are he's got French people in hell. Maybe that's where it's stemming from. 
from. And he definitely has cats in hell. They're demons. They're little demons. No, but the thing is, he never actively was part of the torturing. So why? So I'm going to put this next to the cat question. So the question is going to be, why does Lucifer have an inherent dislike of cats and Frenchmen? <laughs> and what about French cats? Le chat? This episode gives us one of the earliest title drops that we have had in the run of the show. I feel like there is one other episode where we have an equally early title drop, but that's about it. I think a lot dirtier than that, was it? That was a super early one. Which has the same writer as this episode, so would be non-surprising. Because that was uh, Ildi's previous episode. Now, I find it interesting that for someone who has spent the last two episodes convincing everybody that the whole future is not set in stone, you can make your own choices, as Chloe did. For someone like that, she is very quick to believe that she is not going going to die if she's going to go with Lucifer. Do you really think she believes it or do you think she just follows the argumentation that is the most useful one to her? I doubt that she actually believes that. I think that her logic is very sound in the context of what we are watching right now, but I don't think that she necessarily believes it. I think she just doesn't give a fuck at this point. Yeah, she does not care. She only cares that she gets to be there to help. I, of course, have to be my salty usual self. And that is, the necklace sure would be useful right about now. However, it would not because that would change Chloe as a person. And we can't have that. Ah, uh, you just need to like do regular detox in between, you know? Mm. Yes, that's that's definitely how it works. That's definitely how addiction works. Let's go with that. For those who don't realize that that was just a joke. That was sarcasm. Yeah, but still, the necklace would be fucking useful. It would definitely be useful, but I don't think that is worth the circumstances. And we have a pretty good idea that Rory has lived a good life so far. So uh, so who cares if she dies now? I mean, she's at least 60 years old or something. So time to go. Bye. Well, before Rory dies, we get to see her suffer. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Wow. Starting off strong. Do you want to take over and get us into this scene? So give us a good intro so you have fun editing this and can just cut out my ramblings. So basically, if we look at it from the perspective that Chloe just presented, we know, and we've known this since the beginning, that chances are Lucifer would die, Chloe will survive this, and one of the Rorys will survive this. Well, at least baby Rory, or no, uh, fetal Rory inside Chloe needs to survive this. There is a no guarantee that grown-up Rory will survive this. Exactly. If we believe the time loop theory. Now, we go into the evil lair. I called it just the warehouse I like yours so much better and we my first note goes Lumek sure recovered fast from his Lucifer Lucifer Uh yeah I was very proud of that one rightfully so damn so I'm here to appreciate that and I'm here to shit on Lumek as a person because he's terrible oh wow yes yes I'm also going to do one little tiny third on something that I've done before and I'm gonna do it once because I love Rob Benedict. He's such a sweetheart and he did such a great job being done. But fucking hell that accent. Basically, other than the accent, Lamech is 
terrifying. And basically, it turns out there's a reason why he was such a scary, scary dude in the previous season. Because he concocted an extremely smart plan very, very, very fast. If you were going to kill the devil, this is one of the best efforts that we've seen yet. He was able to gain information while being inside Dan and plot without being in control of his body. And then he obviously had the connections to make his plan a reality. So he must have an extremely capable past and a terrifying reputation to be able to put together a team of this size this quickly. Also people who are able to not blink an eye to deal with angels. They are not faced by anything. So they have seen shit. So I'm absolutely with you. But also I was like later in the scene, I was so happy when we get confirmation that he could hear everything that was being said to Dan while Dan was possessing him. It's like, yes, call it. So that made me very, very happy. Throughout the beginning of the scene, I mean, this gets answered within the same scene, but throughout the beginning of the scene, I was like, why is Rory not just breaking the bonds? She is an angel. She must have angel strength. So this was something that was just sitting with me for the three minutes or something that this scene is long. And then, of course, at the end of the scene, she breaks out of the bonds like, hell yeah, she is all powerful. Mm, I was so proud of her. Yes, but uh, then she is posturing. And that is, a f- yeah, but I mean, she's 60, which is still a fucking baby for an angel. But I also, I really, really love Rory because she is such a fucking brat. And she calls Le mec, le merde. And I don't know how good your French is, but do you know what le merde is? Obviously. It is the shit. So this just made me extremely happy. This is also, coincidentally, the first French word that I learned. Of course. We learn that apparently this is a self made time loop by Rory. Had she not gone back in time, and told Lucifer the information, he would not have been able to pass this information on to Dan, who was possessing Lamech, who was then learning that information and would use it to kidnap her so that she would then have the information because he, at this point in the episode, we assume, dies and then vanishes because Chloe would never tell her daughter that she's responsible for her father's death, thus creating the time loop. So this is a self-made time loop and it is all Rory's fault. Exactly. Or is it Chloe's fault because she lied to her daughter by omission? Well, no. It's still Rory's fault. Ah. But you know what? I am actually quite happy with this outcome. This solution is something that has been on a table for a while for Lucifer to die and that being the reason. Basically the only acceptable reason for him to abandon his daughter is if he is dead. Ain't no power in the verse that would be able to keep him from his child except if he ceased fucking existing. Exactly. That was a very real possibility that we've been entertaining for a while. And this reasoning behind it, Rory being the reason that he is dead, despite being the one who blames him for not being there and thus creating the self-made time loop, that would be something that I would be okay with as an explanation for his absence. And why Chloe would never tell her the truth, because then she would be blaming herself all this time instead of blaming Lucifer. And I mean, it's debatable which is less hurtful to your psyche but either way it's a it's a good reasonable and it fits the puzzle fits this way so this is amazing that's so well written this they really set up throughout the entire season which is 
spoiler, why I don't like other parts that were not set up as properly and as well. Because this was so well done. Yeah, very, very smartly written. This scene concludes by her breaking her bonds because we're angel strength. But Lamech is sadly really, really good at his job. So we have Bridget, according to IMDb, shoot Rory with trank guns that would bring down a rhino and she gets shot I feel like four times or something until she gets down and sadly a side effect seems to be that she is not able to pull back in her wings and so this was a calculation on Lamech's part he provoked her let her feel in control had her pop out the wings and then tranked her in probably the hopeful expectation that once she was tranked down, she would not be able to get them in. So, damn, that man be scary. And you could even see when she first pops the wings out, he goes, oh, mon dieu. And he looks really scared for about half a second. And then he's like, oh, no, 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 baby. This is not that. Yeah, but he reins it in because like seeing the, the proof of divinity for the first time still has a certain type of effect. But he is purpose driven. Oh, I didn't. I thought that was completely staged. I didn't think he was afraid for one second. No, not afraid. But still seeing angel wings for the very first time in your life, it's gonna have an effect on you. But now it is time for the rescue effort to start. And before I give you this, because I'm pretty sure there is a scene. Slow-mo number two. On you go. Song. Yes. While the song is playing, we have slow-mo number two. Oh, you said scene instead of a song. Uh, now we have Lucifer and Chloe arriving to the scene. And we get to see them pass the sign that says Stanton Sponson, which I thought was a very lovely way to put us on the scene. Really? For me, it was so superfluous. I was like, really? Do we really need that? We never actually saw it, is the thing. But anyway, we get a song called Bloodline by Samuel Jack. It's an unreleased song, by the way. It's a YouTube only currently. It's a good song. It is on YouTube, but it is not on an album currently at the moment. I would assume that it will come out eventually, though. And my thought at this point was, I would hope that Chloe, since she is pregnant, regardless of her hoping or thinking she's going to come out of it alive, she would at least wear a bulletproof vest or something. Yeah, it feels very callous on her part. She's like, oh, no, I'm going to be fine. No matter what. Girl, you could still like lose a limb or something. Like just because you still are able to give birth doesn't mean you're fine. And just because Rory always kept saying that you were super mom does not mean you make it out whole. So yeah, bulletproof vest should have been like the minimum. Yeah, we start. They uh, happen on to first guard. We get the title card. And right after the title card, we see our first goon. And you watch this on Netflix, right? Because I watched this on Amazon. And Amazon has the cast list. When you go with the mouse over. Do you want to guess what this goon is called? No, because I will never be able to. He is called Sandwich Goon. You know what? The sandwich dropping actually made me giggle. And I like that. When you have an episode that is this heavy, when you have a situation that's this intense, it's a half a second joke. But it doesn't take me out, but it helps me alleviate the mood a little it bit. It gives you enough space to take one proper breath and then you're right back in it again. So I'm fully with you. But yeah, I just really, really loved it with... Okay, this is Sandwich Goon. What I didn't love is the mask and also the other masks of everyone else. Did I miss a reference or something? 
So what actually happens here, right? I was thinking about why the masks and I figured it's because of COVID. Because this dude, there is a hole in it. But all the other ones you don't get to see up close. So I would assume that they were actual like actual face masks. That is a really cool theory. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to lift that uh, veil of ignorance of the of the supernatural finale. No, 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 no. Yeah, I know the masks for the vampires. Uh, let's ignore supernatural. No, let's put this on the question list for Ildi and Joe because I really, really love this theory. Because I hated the masks, but I can live with that explanation. Even if it's not true, I don't care. This is not my reality. Thank you. I want to actually point something out to you. And this is something that is related to episode nine. And I came across it when I was actually looking for these masks and and, uh, posts related to this. Because the previous episode was written by uh, Chris Rafferty. And Chris did a lot of behind the scenes posts after the whole season came out. And one of them was, hey, have you noticed the Mike Costa cameo in episode nine? (gasps) What? So when they're in the supermarket and they're airing Lamech being escaped convict, they are showing pictures of people that are associated with him and they needed to establish the masks being a thing. So they popped a picture of four people wearing those kind of masks on the telly. Ah, see, I missed that. Yeah, me too. And one of those people was Mike Costa because on the last day, on the last day of shooting, they remembered they forgot to take a picture of that to put it into the post. So they had a bunch of like four random people they were there, put the masks on them and snapped the picture and then placed it in the episode. That is so cool! There is a post on his Instagram. We will link it with this episode just so you can read it yourself. Chris did this amazing thing on Instagram. I didn't know you, you could do that until I saw it on his profile. He has grouped posts that are connected to each episode that he's written for Lucifer. Ooh. So if you browse through that, you can open them individually and see all the posts that he has ever put out there on his Instagram that are related to that specific episode. So there are pictures of... Storyboards, props, everything, yeah. Props, yeah. Even, you know, the to-do list from last episode, the detail of that and stuff like that. Every single time there is a specific selfies from the set, behind the scenes, stuff like that. It's really, really nice. I will let you read it if we ever remember it when we see each other in person because I think it's only available on a mobile version of Instagram. Or ask somebody who actually has Instagram on their phone to go to Chris Rafferty's profile and you can... None of my real life friends do. Oh god. I'm old, okay? You're IT. Yes, which is why we don't use that shit. Okay, it's true. I'm a barista. This is why I use that shit. That's the reason why I got Instagram because I became a barista. No, but this is so cool. I love this. Also, now I don't hate the masks anymore and also I blame myself because I should have caught this in the previous episode so this is my bad because even without the backstory if i had the reference to hey this is simply the uniform that Lomex people wear then i wouldn't have cared because then it doesn't matter that the masks are stupid or that they have a purpose or whatever this is simply how you identify his uh, posse for lack of a better word and i would have been fine with it and i would have been able to see it if i had paid enough close attention and i didn't so that is my bad not the shows nice they did actually that is true it is not the show's fault because they specifically placed that image in the episode in order to prepare us for this okay i'm i'm glad that i'm giving you some new information there 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you've already fixed a few of my complaints, which is always a joy when you do that. Uh, and with this episode specifically, I, I love doing that. Hopefully that's going to speak to our listeners as well. <laughs> Yeah, and we have the reveal of the knife, though, in this moment, which is a very important thing. And they realize pretty immediately that it's one of Rory's feathers. And that got me. That was really, really bad. And this is the moment when the very strong possibility of Lucifer dying becomes pretty much reality in my brain in this episode. This is like the needed vehicle to give them the ability to actually kill him. Because now they have a tool that is capable of it. But before my brain even had space for that, I hyper-focused on the fact how painful it was for Lucifer to cut off his wings and how painful it was for Amenadiel when his wings were falling apart. So the amount of pain that Rory must be in because they are literally plucking out her feathers must be unimaginable. And this is one of my later on complaints, she's instantly fine. This does not make sense to me. They have literally pulled tens upon tens of feathers from her wings. She should have been in way more pain. She should have been a lot more incapacitated than she actually ends up being. And there is no time reason for them to not have this. This was an acting choice. This is a direction choice. This is something that they choose not to make this explicit. I don't understand why, because it is always very clearly implied how gross and gruesome and horrifying this is. So I don't really understand why they didn't have Brianna Hildebrandt act like she was in unimaginable pain. And so if I ever get the chance to meet her, this is actually something I want to ask her. Okay, put it on the list. Yeah, but this is so fucked up. This is so incredibly horrifying. But it's also so incredibly smart. Yes, it's very, very smart. And it's very brutal. And as we are watching this happening, and not only they're taking out her feathers, but they're turning them into knives and arrows which is the arrows are so smart holy shit and it's not arrows it's bolts these are bolts for a crossbow which are so much faster as you will know because you play D&D which are so much faster traveling than arrows bolts have a much higher speed so even angel speed you're gonna have a higher issue with dealing with bolts than with arrows and I fucking love the fact that they make bolts out of I love smart villains. I am here for smart villains. This may... Sorry, this is later when we, when we see the close-up with the bolt. But I am gushing in, like, caps about <laughs> the fucking bolt. So I'm just gonna get it out of my system right now. Because hell yeah. Yeah, because then it makes it more satisfying when they fucking die. Yes. But... Uh, yeah, basically we have this <laughs> conversation between Lamech and Rory. And we are setting a little bit more... And we have a conversation about guilt. And he starts talking about how Lucifer whispered something in his ear. And I'm like, wait, did I forget that they actually tell us what it is? And then he doesn't. And I was just like, come on, so close. In all caps, I am, what did Lucifer say to Lamech? You have met Rob since then. Yes, I Did have. you ask him? I forgot. So we need to put this on the list. Put it on the list. Because I know there's questions about this and I always forget which one they are. So basically we put this on the list for both Tom Ellis and Rob Benedict, right? Yes. Good. Because I've asked Rob about the Dan part of his role and I never actually asked him questions about the Lamech part of his role. So... <laughs> 
Before we talk more about the guilt part, we have a close-up of Rory's wings being hooked up. There is a literal hook going through the fabric of her wing, pinning her up. And the fact that she is still remotely standing is absolutely baffling to me. Because they are plucking out her wings. Her wings are basically... Extension of her, yeah. Crucified to steel beams. And she can still stand on her feet. Barely. Wow. I know, I mean, you got all the sweating and everything. But she is still standing. She is still standing. Better than she ever did. The thing is, when Chloe is so worried about her wings being made out of knives, Rory addresses the fact that her being strong, I do wonder what kind of experiences Rory went through outside of the safe haven that was her home. Because just because you live or you grow up in a protected home with a good mother does not mean that outside of it you do not have the space and the possibility to go through pretty fucked up experiences. And we cannot forget that Rory was still friends with Mace and that she is around 60 or something when she does the time jump. So I would not be surprised if, for example, she went bounty hunting with Mace at some point and if she got herself into some seriously fucked up situation. So I do wonder if there is any kind of previous proper fucked up painful experience that might be the reason why Rory has the capability to work through this immense physical pain because she is very punk I mean come on no this is a really good theory actually I like that because in my brain she keeps being 24 or something when she's clearly not so Rory and Lamech have a conversation and he starts mentioning the whispering and she says this really good thing where she points out that Lucifer is not the one who tortures people and regardless of demons or anything like that doing the actual physical act of torturing what he does is that he introduces you to your guilt and then you torture yourself with the help of little demon she is aware of the concept of torture which makes you wonder where did she learn that I mean she's been around now for a bit so I would say that she learned it now so is this an information that she's gained after she time traveled or did she already know this before she time traveled what do you think I think that she learned it after she time traveled okay I I can deal with that I'm I'm okay with that because it wouldn't make, make sense for her to know this concept beforehand because then she would know she can just fly to hell and see Lucifer whenever she wants she didn't have to time travel to meet him well she doesn't know that he's down in hell yes that's true how would she not know if she went to hell before I don't know this is a convoluted thing I don't think she went to hell before why would she go to hell exactly so therefore I think that she learned it after she time traveled so despite being in an absolutely horrible situation Rory keeps basically sassing Lamech which I absolutely adore but he basically has the worst possible information for her inadvertently because we now learn that Lucifer is here but he's not alone he's with a woman and so obviously that can only be Chloe and since she is still a child when we look at angel age she still worries for both her parents because rationally she should not worry for 
Chloe, because Rory is such a huge believer of the time loop theory, so she should be absolutely convinced that Chloe is safe. But logic and emotion, obviously, mm, not, not right in sync. <laughs> no, no, no. And Bridget says, kill the woman, don't hurt the man. And I was like, you know what? What if we kill this woman? I love Bridget. Bridget is kick-ass. She is kick-ass, but I want her to die right now. That is totally fine. That is totally fine. We go into what I called rescue part two, like all the scenes that built up to the actual rescue, I called that. And we start with slow-mo number three. So this scene gets a soundtrack. It's called My Body is a Cage by Peter Gabriel. And this is actually a, a scene that I really, really like. I know that LD is considering this one of the best fight scenes that they managed to do. It is also the last fight scene that they had money to shoot. She has posted some behind the scene videos on her Instagram. Again, we will put a link to the description of this episode. But I love it because I enjoy how uh, Lucifer and Chloe work as a team. And you can see it very, very clearly that they would not have been able to get through this room without one another. So that is one of the reasons why I liked it and enjoyed it. And I love the, the camera work as well. So the camera work, I have no problem with. The slow-mo, I can ignore for argument's sake. It is absolutely ridiculous, the entire scene. It is a waste of time. Not a single person dies. Every single bad guy gets shot in the leg once and then goes down and never comes up again. It is absolutely ridiculous. Lucifer takes way too long in single one-on-one hand-to-hand combat with boring vanilla mortals. He has no business taking out Maze's knife in this setting. Which is the only time we see him taking out the knife after she gives him to him. Which, absolutely useless, makes no sense. And he maims off screen. And he uses Maze's knife to basically cut, I think, his face or something. No, he doesn't cut his neck because nobody dies. That is the point. Not a single goon in the entire episode dies. How do you know that? Because we make a point that killing is bad later on. But he's already killed people. Watch the scene. He only knocks people out. They always move everything. And this is my issue. Doesn't Bridget also die? No. Or does he only knock her out? Yeah, yeah. Bridget is just not out. And that's my issue. If they had gone in serious with the we don't care how we're going to go in here save our daughter consequences and all these assholes be damned they would have blazed through this in a matter of seconds because then all of these people would be dead because then chloe would have shot to kill and she is an amazing shot there's no debate and it would have been one shot one kill not one shot one leg lie down and twitch So I was extremely upset with this until the crossbow with the knife bolt shows up because then I was like, hell yeah, because that was fucking awesome. But I really, really didn't like this. And the problem is, even though you sorted the why didn't we pray to Amenadiel before, for me, it only works until the end of this scene. Because at the end of this scene, Chloe is stabbed. And she is stabbed pretty close to her heart. And this should be the moment where you at least send out one prayer. Even if Amenadiel doesn't respond because he's busy, because of whatever reason, it doesn't matter. But this is the moment where in a universe where we have angels that can be anywhere they want within a matter of seconds because of wings. And they can hear you if you pray. And we know for a fact that angels have been answering prayers randomly all over the world. This is the moment where they should have been asking for help. Because now the possibility of Chloe actually dying exists. So this scene is where it gets really iffy 
for me. Well, who's to say that Chloe didn't pray after Lucifer went to get Rory? If we can't see it, it's not happening. No, 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 no. Not when we have so many slow-mo scenes that could have been not slow-mo and given us about five extra minutes in the episode. Okay, I love how you have perceived this uh, scene very differently from myself. I have not noticed any of the things that you have pointed out. And you know what? If I ever rewatch it, I will not notice again on purpose because I actually like it and I don't want to destroy that for myself. No, no. It's also like I went back and I read through my initial notes from the binging. And it is so different. Seriously, when I binged this the first time, a few things are the same, but so many of how I perceived certain things is so incredibly different. But this is one of the main things. I hate the fact that Chloe and Lucifer are so good that we're not killing anyone. And this is actually something that is going to come up in the middle again when we have the confrontation between Rory and Lamech. So let's get there. <laughs> okay, where were we? Oh yeah, the confrontation where they actually... Lucifer leaves Chloe behind. Everything is burning. Chloe is hurt. She says, don't you worry. I will not die here. We know that, which we think we know that. And she sends him off. And I get it because to her, the only priority is the Rory that she knows and that she's met, not the one that she is carrying inside because that's a very abstract thing right now. Yeah, the one inside isn't even a life at this point. But we get the little knock over during the fight of the fire and suddenly the house of the warehouse is on fire, which looks amazing. But I just found it really the funny. Room. The room, the room is on fire. It looks so cool because in the next scene, this is basically, from a visual point of view, literal hellfire. And it's so well done. Fire! Da, da, da. Lucifer walks in to the room where Rory is being held. And for some reason, they decided that Lamech's motivation is suddenly, but I want you to rid me of this pain that I have in me. And I'm like, what? That's bullshit. That's what? I thought it was vengeance the whole time. And it just, they made it seem for a second like... Both. Yeah, it is both. And that this moment, it's his first request. And I'm like... Yeah, because first he needs Lucifer to fix what he did to him. And then he wants to take revenge. It doesn't really work the other way around. Like, because once the other person knows, oh, I'm going to take my revenge. They're not going to help you anyways. So you can't really, like, show your entire hand from the get-go. Except this is Lucifer and he clearly knows exactly what's happening. So... And this was another moment when I'm like is he gonna tell us is he gonna tell us what he said is he gonna tell us and they don't do you think anyone actually knows well the two of them know well maybe he said something to him that doesn't have absolutely no relation to this and there was never very probably yeah I'm pretty sure that that's the case actually yeah like this is my expectation that nobody actually knows what was being said and like it's never gonna be revealed or something like see that's two different questions right one is for Rob and Tom what was actually said and one is for Ilde and Joe what would make Lamech do this. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Ooh, we get so much out of this. So I have a note in my notes that I have answered by myself while we recorded because I was a bit upset that Rory takes so long to break free out of her bonds. But given the amount of pain that she must be in, it makes sense that she needs the emotional turmoil to be able to get through the pain and rip free of it. But when I watched this, I was like, why are you not breaking free already? Do it. (laughs) We have Lucifer walking and we get the conversation between him and Lamech. And what they do is they turn Lucifer's phrase on the other person. Well, he turns it himself. 
which makes it so much worse and so much better at the same time. I absolutely love this. It's very good. Also, this is one of the extremely few instances where Lucifer never lying hurts him. Most of the time it is just played as, oh, the devil never lies, blah, 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 blah. And it's either played for comedy or plot reasons. From the top of my head, I can't think of a single moment where him saying something truthful was this painful. Sometimes he can't say something because he refuses to say the truth and he won't lie. So he will not say anything. Those situations we had a few. But him actually spelling out the truth, even though it will hurt him this much, I can't remember a single instance and I feel like this is a really well done escalation of the Lucifer never lies because if he could break this base principle for a single time he could have used it here but he will not do this because of how hugely it is a part of his true self. Well that but also because if he tells the truth now he is sacrificing his life for his daughter. If Lamech kills him and lets her live it is the biggest suffering he can place upon Lucifer. Which is something that we need to talk about. Because in the Luciverse, there is no afterlife for angels. Yeah. So Lucifer would simply cease to exist the second he dies. He would not suffer. He would not be in pain. His pain is literally the few seconds it takes for him to tell Lamech what his desire is and Lamech killing him. This is not sharing the pain, which is what Lamech wants. Not long term, no. And this is why I don't like Lamech going in for the kill. I understand it makes sense for like the narrative point and blah blah blah. I get it from the storytelling point of view. But it makes no sense. It does. No, because Lucifer will not suffer. Lucifer will cease to exist and then he will, then he will have no pain. Lamech is seeing that pain on Lucifer's face already, he says so. Lamech has suffered for weeks and months. It's not about the time, it's about the act of suffering. Lamech specifically says share my pain so it does not feel adequate that Lucifer is in pain for like three seconds and then he's just done with it and Lamech will continue to be in pain. This is not satisfying. Is it not to you or is it not to Lamech because it clearly is satisfying to Lamech. I think he's too emotional in this moment to understand that this does not mean Lucifer will suffer. I don't think Lamech knows there's no afterlife for angels. <laughs> That's another thing. Why would he know that? I don't like it. No. No. You don't like it as Lena, but it makes sense within the show. No. It does. No. So during this whole conversation, uh, we get cuts over to Brianna, to Rory. And she's fighting. She's fighting the bonds. Holy shit. You can see every single thought on her face. It's so good. She's doing such an amazing job. She's such a great actress. I know I've said this before on the podcast, but I adore Brianna Hildebrand. Which is also why I say her being completely fine the second she breaks free must have been a deliberate acting choice. Because while she is still pinned up there, she is in pain. Yep, and not just physical pain, emotional as well. But that's what motivates her to break free finally. To rip her wings, yelling out dad, which is very, very beautiful. And grabbing Lamech and starting choking him. 
And the next thing that happens, I found incredibly amazing. Okay, I'm, I'm going to let you do your part and then we're going to see where we agree and where we disagree. So basically, what we learn quite a lot about Lucifer and about Rory at this point, and we get to find out that Lucifer gave himself the devil face because he guilted himself into it. He thought he was a monster. We kind of knew that. Yeah, we, we knew that already. The devil face was the visual manifestation of his self-hatred and self-imposed guilt. But the fact that she can get a devil face because she is the same bloodline, let's put it in a song name in this episode, that Lucifer is, I don't know would another angel be able to give him give themselves a devil face? Of course. That is another... Would he do? The devil face is simply another version of self-actualization. And all angels self-actualize. Yes, but would it look like this? Would it look like Lucifer's devil face? If they thought they were a monster, and their understanding is, of course, the Judeo-Christian understanding. So if they thought they were a monster, and the bane of existence and everything, and had the self-hatred and the self-doubt, yes, of course it would look like this. I don't think so. Because they have precedent for it now. Everyone knows what the devil looks like. I disagree with that. That is fine. But we learn more about Lucifer's love. We know more about Lucifer's approach. But most importantly, we are learning things about Rory. And the fact that she is clearly struggling with a lot of things. And I think this kind of can tie us up quite well with your self-actualization and the healing and stuff like that. I think that she is capable of self-actualization, but she is not in sync with her mind and her body. Subconscious and conscious is not in sync. Yes. Yes. So the, she's not as good with it as Lucifer is now because she's still holding on to all that pain, all that guilt, because now she feels extremely guilty because from what we can see right now, it's all her fault. And now we know that there is like a bunch of fucking mercenaries she doesn't even know if Chloe is still alive because only Lucifer shows up. Chloe has to be alive, otherwise she wouldn't be alive. But she is at fault for her mom having to raise both of her children without her partner at her side. She is at fault for not having her father growing up. And since it is her fault, she's also at fault for her mother not being able to tell her. So all of this is her fault. Absolutely. I don't think that... No, no, there's not going to be like the rational uh, brain function, but everything is her fault. <laughs> I was just going to say the fact that she is still there doesn't necessarily always mean that, that Chloe isn't dead because rationally, yes, we can see this would be the case but in this moment Chloe isn't there we don't know how fast acting it would be for Rory to disappear if Chloe disappeared also she's not acting rationally in this moment and that's another thing so like all of these things are in her you head. mean to say people don't act rational in these emotionally volatile moments not everybody is so amazing as you and me I was gonna say me but yes sure you as well Fuck you i'm way more well adjusted than you you are right or no 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 let me let me put this other um let me put this differently <laughs> i'm not gonna say you're right no, no no i've said you're right plenty of times throughout this episode and throughout this show i agree with you that the heart to heart between rory and lucifer is really really well done and the paralleling between lucifer's life experience and what he went through is making him insanely qualified to be able to understand what his daughter is going through right this second. There is absolutely no debate 
on that level from me. My issue is that in the past, killing bad guys has not been this ginormous, huge thing of a bad deal that you could do. And so I remember very distinctly how justified Lucifer felt when he kills Pierce. And of course, this is when his devil face starts acting up and it even becomes permanent for a short amount of time. So this is very, very clearly to me a parallel to this. Because what Pierce or what Cain did to Lucifer can be very much equated to what Lamech has done to Rory and her family. But to me, it is extremely important. Parents cannot keep their children from making their own mistakes. He doesn't physically stop her, yes. No, 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 no. It's not about physically stopping. It's just because you explain certain truths to your children does not mean they don't have to live through certain types of experiences. And I feel like this is such a deep and carnal and meaningful realization that Lucifer took ages to work through and understand and then finally make it a reality for himself. He needed Chloe's help to come to the realization and everything. To make this very short and painful, when I watched this for the first time, it worked perfectly for me. Rewatching this, it didn't because I was missing the depth, because I was missing the emotional deep involvement that I was having on the first watch through when I didn't know anything. But now knowing what I know, this scene does not have enough depth for me to give her the credibility as the linchpin that she needs to be for this scene to work for me. That's fair. I can see where you're coming from. To me, most of this was justified because we've had a lot of very intense moments between uh, Lucifer and Rory and we had the shooting him in a leg. The fact that Lucifer just sacrificed his life in order to save her and all of these little things that he's done over the last two episodes made it enough for me personally. But I understand that that it doesn't have to work. And I envy you for it because I enjoyed enjoying this the first time I watched it. So I kind of wish I could have held on to this. So take my envy because I would like to be in your shoes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now they have this great get-together, whatever. And, of course, they didn't check if the villain villain is out. Which I hated. Such a newbie failure. Seriously, they know better. That's a thing that I... Ugh. Anyway, he goes after Rory and a single gunshot sounds and he falls back. And what I find the most karmic ending of Lamech, he impales himself on Rory's feathers that he stole from her. So fuck him. Chloe shot him in the chest. That doesn't matter where he landed on. He was dead the moment she shot him. I don't think she killed him. She shot him in the chest. Period. He's dead. You can survive a chest wound. Yeah, very unlikely. Chloe shot him in the chest. In my head, she didn't kill him. Because especially if you put it the way, if you look at the rest of your description of the episode where you notice that she did not kill a single person. She shot every single person in the leg and then they fell over. Here, deliberately, she shoots him Point blank, middle of his torso. Either way, that doesn't change the fact that he impales himself on Rory's feathers. And I find that the most karmic thing and it made me very happy. But to me, it is... Do as I say, don't do as I do. Because Chloe being the one to effectively kill Lamech because she shoots him in the chest. And that is totally okay and we don't even need to talk about it. See, this is exactly why I don't think that she killed him. But Rory can't kill Lamech because no, 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 it would be totally horrible. It's like, really? There's also a different... Like, even if Chloe did kill him, 
right? It's a different situation if she killed him to save Lucifer and if Rory would have choked him just because she could. Seriously, for me, no. Yes, for you, no. But for justice law system, yes. <laughs> oh, the law does not play any role in this. No, no, no. I'm talking about morality. I'm talking. No, I'm not talking about law. Chloe is not an active policeman. I'm, I'm surprised she, she even still has a gun. I mean, okay, this is America. Basically, everyone can have a gun if they want to. Different story, not getting into this. No, like, this really rubbed me the wrong way, especially because because previously in the scene it was so visually made clear that she shot to maim and it would have been so easy to have Lamech be shot in the shoulder and him falling over and then impaling himself on Rory's knives. Yes, fucking yes, because like you said, fucking karmic justice. It would have been perfect. And she is a great enough shot to nail him on the shoulder. That's the thing. So actually I take ginormous issue with this, but I'm not going to go on another 20 minute tangent because I think I've had a few already in this episode. What I really love about this is Lamech giving us the information that Dan is in heaven because he wants to go to heaven. This was so well done to me. This really, really worked. Him talking in this way about the light and he wants to see the light and he only sees darkness. Like you said several times throughout this episode, Rob Benedict knows how to act. And the writing also really works for me here. Because I really wanted Lucifer and Chloe to have the information that then made it to heaven. And this is literally the only way they could learn it from Lamech. And so this really, really worked for me. Indeed. So we are heading into the aftermath of this situation. I also call this aftermath. Yay! Can we count that as an obsession, please? <laughs> no. God damn it. Now, uh, we head into the aftermath and I enjoy seeing Rory sulking, but I agree with her. She's not sulking, she's thinking. Yeah, well, sulking, thinking, it's the same thing. Why are you shitting over emos this entire episode? That's not true. Well, no, sorry, that was the bonus. Listen to the bonus, it's amazing. No, she's sulking in the back and whatever she's sulking in is, a, maybe she's sulking in her thoughts. But I agree with her because this feels weird. This does not feel right because we're about halfway through this episode. Exactly! We have eliminated the thread. Chloe says we made it. And I'm like, no, no, no. We have 30 minutes left. We haven't made it. No, girl. No, no, no. Well, it's August 5th. But the thread, the main thread of the episode has been eliminated. The one plausible thing that would make me happy with how Lucifer disappears didn't actually happen. So to me, he doesn't disappear. She doesn't go back because that doesn't affect it's on a loop. She stays there she becomes her own auntie. Yeah, which was actually what my assumption was when I first watched this episode. I thought she would become her own relative in some way because it's not an actual loop loop. It is like a, a detour. Woo. Yes, a little detour. <laughs> my main complaint in this scene doesn't really relate that much to the scene but is a general complaint that I think I've voiced in the past but never this explicitly. Rory is being used and handled as the one and only authority on how time travel works in the Lucifers. And in the beginning, they framed it as, well, Lucifer now believes her. But in this episode, it is handled as her word is gospel truth. And this starts here and it continues until basically she has to go back. But it gets confirmed. It doesn't. And that's the thing. We don't know. And if you listen to my Devils in the Details, once you made a choice, there is no way to prove that you could have made any other choice. So, got it out of the way. We go into the penthouse. 
and we have verbal acknowledgement that Dan made it into heaven. So happy. I find it really funny how Chloe and Rory are like, oh, wait, what made Dan go and confront or talk to Trixie? And Lucifer just like goes, oh, yeah, it was me. It's my fault. That's what I did. Um, I'm the savior here. And he doesn't even admit that he didn't say specifically, Dan, you should go talk to Trixie. He explains that. He says... It's not about what you do with your time. It's about who you spend it with. And he's like so smug about it. I just found it very funny. Obviously, it is his thing. It, it is his doing that, that it happened. But yes, I just found it really funny how smug he was about it. But rightfully so, because he literally did not tell Dan, go see Trixie. He told Dan, like it only matters with like who you spend, blah, blah, blah. But this is not something that he came up with. Linda told him that. Of course not, but that's not the point. But he makes the instant connection that Dan went to Trixie because she is the person for Dan that is the most important to spend time with. That's right. So this is not something that usually is Lucifer's strong capabilities, understanding who other people have connection with. Because usually, in the past of this show, he only cared about his connections to other people. But he has grown so much that he is now aware and caring enough that the connection between Dan and Trixie, of course, it makes sense to him that the connection with Trixie is what helped Dan transcend to heaven. And I feel like this is actually a really important stepping point on the later on realization what his purpose is. Because he has finally grown out of needing a personal connection to relate to everything because this is what every single case throughout the entirety of the show has been him needing a personal connection to be able to relate and emphasize with something but now he can relate to what Dan did without having the personal insert and so this to me was extremely relevant and I really really love this ah and this is the thing, like, this episode has so many brilliant moments. And then he quotes Linda once more. I can't give you the right answers, just the right questions. <sighs> Do you remember that I, when Linda said this, that I said that this is the mark of a really good therapist? A therapist that is giving you answers is a really bad therapist. And I really, capital letters, really like that we drive this point home once again because growth doesn't happen if someone tells you the answer which is why I had my whole rant about Lucifer spelling everything out for Rory and it just working because this is not how it works and I really really like that we drive this home explicitly it is not about giving someone the answers it's about helping someone have the right questions so they can find their answers and this made me so incredibly happy because this show has been in my opinion groundbreaking when it comes to the positivity of therapy now we get to the point where rory and chloe both start realizing before lucifer does what is his true calling and they are making the choice for him. And it comes to him. And the revelation of this being God's plan all along. It actually connects quite well to what you are talking about in your Devils and the Details. About between free will and fate. And that brings back what I said ages ago about God watching this play out. Even though he knows the outcome. It's like watching a play. He knows what go is going to happen. He just needs to set things in motion. He is the only person who who has read the entire play and no one else has. And so no one knows the actions of themselves or anyone else. And so it feels like everything is random or free will or both or whatever. But that 
already knew the entire play. Dad gives Lucifer a hint to help him arrive to the calling by saying hell does not need a guardian anymore because he leaves out the second part of the sentence and that is what Lucifer comes up with now. It doesn't because it needs a healer. We're now getting <laughs> we're now getting to the monologue that Rory has before she returns to her timeline. So I have to admit, it still made me quite emotional. It didn't make me as emotional as it did on the first watch. I think mainly it is because when we watch these, when I watch these and make notes for the podcast, I stop it a lot and, and that gives me the breather. It takes us out of it. Exactly. So it still got me though. And to me, her reasoning basically is if the three of them sacrifice a few decades in order to help the entire humanity, it's not that big of a thing. And it's something that she then says at the very end of the monologue. But I already realized now it is not their lifetimes they are giving up. They are giving up a few decades of their lives, which, yes, it is Chloe's lifetime, technically, on Earth, but it is not her being. It's not her essence. It is not Rory's lifetime, for sure, because, as she puts it, it's just a blip in her eternal existence. And so it is for Lucifer. And if this is what they need to sacrifice... How many millennia are 60 human years down in hell? Since less than a year was already like several thousand years for him in hell? It is definitely less than the millennia of human years that he spent there before. If you know there is an end... Still, Lucifer is the one who is giving up the most amount of time. If we accept the fact that, okay, Chloe is willing to give up her living time because she knows, like, she knows for a fact there's an afterlife. So I can wrap my head around this. This is fine, even though it's fucking problematic. But we know how horribly slow the time in hell progresses. We know that the time Lucifer spent down there while Chloe was up on Earth and then Michael showed up was already millennia upon millennia. So we know for a fact that the time between him leaving and Rory and finally doing the time travel and basically freeing him from his exile is gonna be millennia on millennia on millennia on millennia. And so on a first glance, this feels like Chloe's giving up the most. But on a second glance, this is Lucifer committing to uncountable millennia of loneliness because she says so. Because she asks him to. Yeah, because she says so. And that is not earned. That is my main issue. That is not earned. Just because she is his daughter, this is not earned. There is not enough of a connection that he can just go, sure thing, I will go into exile for uncountable millennia because you ask me to. And that was my main... No, this was one of my issues with this scene. <sighs> There's no discussion. There's no nothing. It's just, okay. <sighs> if there was a single acknowledgement that after the blip of Rory's life, the entire lifetime of Chloe and uncountable millennia spent in hell for Lucifer, the family is going to get back together, I would be fine. One sentence. We have a verbal confirmation that Rory and Chloe are going to get together after Chloe dies. We do? Yes. It's in the last scene. We have a supposed see you in a moment, but we have no confirmation that it actually happens. Chloe dies, she sees a man of God and he takes her down to hell. That's it. Into which Rory has access. We've seen her there once. The, which confirms that she can go to hell. Demon straight up told her you're not supposed to be here. Nobody knows what a man of God made as rules. Like I said, a single sentence... 
We will all be back together in the future. I will be fine. We can move on. Like, you helped me summarize the entire rant to a single sentence. So, you already helped me a shit ton. <laughs> because I couldn't put it in words. <laughs> in short words. <laughs> so, during this monologue that Rory is having, we get a song called Dive by Tom Adams. And we're gonna wrap this up for now and we're gonna return to that apparently at the summoning episode and it's gonna be a lively debate. The summoning episode is probably gonna be 17 hours long because I would have a whole paragraph on the looking back I wouldn't change a thing sentence from Rory because problematic. But saving that for summoning. We go to Lux, right? Because we have a song playing starting as she vanishes and she gets Lucifer to promise to do as she asks him to do. And then she vanishes, the song keeps playing and we go into Lux. And this is the final time we go into Lux. So I really appreciated the fact that we still have the song playing because there has been a few times where we didn't have music going into Lux and I was like, what? So thank you for giving us the last time transitioning into Lux with a song. Lucifer walks around and yes, as you said, this is the final time we are in Lux and it is the final time he is in Lux. And he's taking the time to say goodbye. Yes. You can see a lot of emotions in his eyes and in his face and it's not just... I feel like this was for the fans. This was for us to take the time to say goodbye to one of the most important sets that we had on this show. And he goes and sits at the piano and starts playing. And don't actually know what he plays at first, but I don't even know if it's a, a real thing or if he's just playing whatever. But Chloe comes up to him and starts replaying their first meet. Episode one. Which is the most adorable thing that she could have done at this point. And I was just, in this moment, I was already melting. Apart from actually addressing what happened, this is the next best thing. I would have preferred them to have an actual conversation. But like you said seven hours ago, this episode is incredibly heavy emotional wise and sometimes we need these short moments of levity and if we had gotten an actual verbal addressing of what has just happened and what it means we would have been stuck in this heavy emotional jail so her going so Lucifer Morningstar is that a stage name or something gives us the desperately needed levity like you said it doesn't take us out it gives us the fond memory of the beginning the breathing time and this changes the vibe from here on out i feel like this is the turning point this scene still continues on for quite a while but this is where this pain that we had in the previous scene gets turned into for lack of a better word because my brain doesn't give me any better word nostalgia even while it is still happening, what we are going to be nostalgic about, if that makes sense. It does. It absolutely does. And so, really well done, like I said. This show has absolutely no right to be as good as it actually is. And this scene not only gives us this one reference, we also get the musical reference later on, which is so lovely. They do this thing where this was one of the last things that they shot and a lot of the tears that you can see in this scene are real. Yeah, they are relating to the actors saying goodbye to their roles and their co-workers and 
their life of the last six years. This is very raw. This is very authentic on a very different level. Yeah. They do this thing where Chloe asks Lucifer to close his eyes. And that's the moment that gets me. That's the moment where she says, you can't see me, but I'm right here. No matter where you go, no matter where you are, I'll be with you. I'll be with you always. And it's something that will get him through those millennia. And I know that for a fact. Even if we didn't get that little switch to him sitting on the throne with her, which gives us the whole, this is what is about to happen. When he sits on that throne with his eyes closed, he's never going to be there alone again. He's never going to be lonely. This is a very visual confirmation of that the people we love never truly leave us, no matter where they are. Also, it's a really lovely callback to the first time Chloe ever visited hell when she sees the throne and calls it lonely and now he's not gonna be lonely anymore now this throne will never feel lonely to him again because she's always gonna be with him so this is very very romantic sadly my heart is not very romantic so rationally I'm fully with you everything you said is absolutely true on an emotional level I'm like but you're not there so But I'm a jaded, (laughs) unfeeling creature sometimes when it comes to those things. No, but writing-wise and especially camera-wise, this was really, really well done. And this also really works if I wasn't this cynical creature that I am. We go into the Silver City from here. And correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first external shot of the Silver City we have seen, right? This is the first internal shot of Silver City as well. No, 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 no. We had the supposed... When we do the read-through. That was a... Faker city. No, no, no. It was from the interior. It was exactly the same. So that was accurate. But this is the first external view of the Silver City that we see. And I'm not gonna lie. It looks kind of awesome. It was very pretty. I was chuckling a bit because it's actually in the clouds. Yes, of course. Also, remember my devils in the details? Lilith's children built this. They did good. Good demons. I mean, people. I mean, demons. They did good. I mean, come on. It looked pretty awesome. And I also have to say, DB does such a great fatherly smile he so does yeah i'm gonna share what my the first thought that i had seeing him there was in my brain i was wondering what shoes is he wearing same it is not sandals i couldn't see it i did my very best it is extremely grainy but i am 99 sure that he's wearing white sneakers but in my opinion we should put this on the list of questions for db because it was made such an explicit thing when the lucifer version was being shown with the socks and sandals yes and i really really want to talk about this so i'm absolutely with you yes this was also my very first thought like is he wearing socks and sandals i'm proud of us yes sometimes i love us like sometimes i want to strangle you and i hate how we do things but sometimes i also love us yeah yeah and now it's time to go into the montage No, no 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 while i am aware that this episode probably was still being influenced by covid I was extremely disappointed that among the angels that witness his ascension to God, to a man of God, are angels we don't know. There's not a single familiar face in there. And I found that extremely disappointing. That's a shame for sure. Also, throughout the episode, I had been wondering if Amenadiel was already God because we hadn't seen any information on this. But then we get the visual confirmation that this is the moment Amenadiel ascends to Amenagod. So even though we don't get any timing information, like this could happen before, during or after the entire episode and nobody would know. So we go into the montage and the song that's playing is by Scala and the Kolatsny Brothers. 
and it's called Champagne Supernova. It's just like a choir piece. And the first thing we see is Ella knowing the moment a man of God becomes a man of God. Because she is not a vanilla human. And this actually gives us a certain time frame because within this montage, we can assume where they roughly place. Because Chloe meets her in the precinct and she does not have a visual baby belly in this moment. So my assumption is that Amenadiel ascended the throne after Lucifer went back to hell. Yes, I agree with you. I absolutely adore her shirt. We have talked about this in the special. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The shirt is amazing and I still say we want it, definitely. I want a photo op with Amy Garcia and those shirts, absolutely. Even though I'm aware so many other people are gonna do this. Also the other shirt, the... Yes. What was it? The snakes one. No, I mean the the one from the flashback. Funny shirt. The black t-shirt that says funny shirts on it. Funny t-shirt. Just funny t-shirt. Yeah, definitely. We're going to have to have so many ops with Amy Garcia. It's going to be amazing. Because she's the best. No, but I'm, I'm really happy that we see that Ella and Carol are still happy. And we see Chloe coming back. And then, of course, we cut over into heaven. And this is one of the most important revelations or confirmations for me yes then being with charlotte in heaven and him getting the putting plus is absolute utter perfection and i'm so incredibly happy makes me so so happy this broke me on the on the happy scale the next thing we see is chloe with a impressive baby bump being a lieutenant so that means she made lieutenant in less nine months yes That was a bit Eh. fast. She's a prodigy. Yeah, nepotism is alive and well. Yeah, especially for white people. Even if you're female, you're still white. I wonder at this moment, because I noticed the drawing of Lucifer and Trixie on uh, Chloe's desk. So I just wondered what did ever, again, wondered what did Chloe tell Trixie happened to Lucifer. In my opinion, after the interaction between Lamech who was actually Dan, there must have been, of course, I'm breaking my own uh, assumption here, but there must have been a conversation between Trixie and Chloe with the whole Dan, heaven, yaddy, yaddy. Like, at the end of the montage, we see the baby coming home. And in my opinion, at least then Trixie is in the know. Okay. Somewhere there. But we have always claimed that Trixie has known from very much the start. And I'm still okay with that. Trixie knows, but not necessarily has been verbalized to her. You know what would be hilarious if she at some point was like, well, mom, are the wings going to pop out your belly now or only after the baby is born? And then Chloe going like, what? So we get to see Chloe, weirdly enough, uh, promoted to a lieutenant. I'm assuming that once she made it, she made sure that Sonia was promoted to the detective. And therefore, to me, I know that we've talked about the white savior a lot, but this could still be a bit iffy. But the fact that she is trying to help raise people of color in the ranks from where she is makes me very hopeful that this is more of a I'm helping you be the change rather than I am the change for you. Also, given the fact that she apparently made lieutenant within nine months, there is only a limited amount, limited amount of things that she can actually affect. So if she had already made the effect within nine months to get Sonia her extremely well-deserved promotion, this is the first step. I am very disappointed that this is the only effect we see in the montage. 
I don't have an answer for something else that they could have shown to make clear that this is not just a white savior shit. But I would have liked to see something else. Also, seeing Amenadiel standing next to her when that happens kind of showed me a little bit that he is there helping to guide her, helping out, even though he's God and he technically shouldn't interfere because he knows what's going to happen. Oh yeah, he's, he's not doing the hands-off approach. But we have established that, that the warm light that appears on people's faces means that Amenagod is showing up and he's showing up for Charlie's birthday. That's a plot hole that makes no sense because Amenadiel is happily surprised when the wings pop out. He's God. He's omniscient. He shouldn't be happily surprised. We go to the second perfect couple. I was gonna say I'm so happy that they actually got Eve back for the finale because it just wouldn't feel right if she weren't there. It's so perfect. And after Charlotte and Dan, this is the second perfect fucking couple and this makes me so incredible happy and I love every single second about this and I love how happy Maze is looking when she's chasing the fucking fuck and I love that Eve is the one to knock him down and they're so beautiful together. Yes. I love this. Like, I loved every single fucking second and frame about this. And Maze gets a call about the baby. And uh, what I love is that as they're waiting at the apartment, there's a banner that says, welcome baby Rory. Like, they had to establish that they're welcoming baby Rory and not the original Rory that they already... Yeah. It actually made me laugh. Also, did you see that Ella has a welcome to Earth sign? Yes, Ella has a welcome to Earth sign. So, question, is that a hyperbole or do both Carol and Trixie no, like officially, no, no, what is going on? Because they're the only two not in the know in this room. I don't think Carol knows. We have zero questions. No, we have one question for the actor of Carol. So I would put this, does Carol know in the finale? Yeah, put it on the list. I don't think he would know because he has expressed quite well that he doesn't need to know every single detail. Of- Just because you don't need to know doesn't mean it hasn't come up. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. Did you see Maze's gift at the baby shower? It was so cool. Yeah, so Ella has a sign, Carol has a stuffed bear, and Maze and Eve have a set of knives. It's so fucking cool. It's perfect. And then they arrive and Trixie is... Also, this is basically a callback, right? Uh, When Maze was wrecking her brain what to give Linda for Charlie? Yeah, could be. Very, very easily. Except this time it's actually appropriate because she knows who Rory is going to become. Exactly. This could also be a self-fulfilling prophecy that maybe because her first gift was a knife, her wings become knives. But, (laughs) well, Rory is a loop person, so that's okay. (laughs) Sorry. So we are going to go back to the future now. Back to the future! And before we actually get Rory back from the past, I didn't actually look at all the pictures, but the one that stuck out to me was a picture of Chloe and Lucifer at the beach. Oh, okay. Not the one I focused on. And this is the moment that looks like after Rory is leaving. So I think that she knew this picture from her house and she realized being there that she is the only one who could have ever taken it. So she snapped it and left it printed out at Chloe's apartment before and maybe that's how she got snatched because maybe Lamech was waiting at the apartment I don't know this is just but the the photo is there and it feels like the Harry Potter thing where the Patronus thingy the Patronus thing yeah I focus on a very different photo because on the mantelpiece there is a picture of Chloe, Trixie and Dan. And that means Rory knew who Dan was when she went down to hell looking for Michael and 
finding Dan's ghost. Interesting. And that is something that I really want to ask. I don't know who yet, because when she has her first interaction with Dan, she is acting like she doesn't know who he is. To be fair, she's very angry and she's acting. I know, I know. But this is something that they considered because there's a family picture of Chloe, Trixie and Dan. Maybe they just didn't realize what they're doing when they put the picture there. It's completely plausible. These things, this this what makes these things so complicated. But still, I love the fact that there's so many pictures on this mantelpiece and I love the fact that there's a picture of Dan and Trixie and, and Chloe as a family. And Chloe's dad is there as well. Yes. And so I love this. This is so much better than Supernatural. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, yes, it unfortunately this comes to mind because on Supernatural you have a very similar scene and this is the parallel that killed me. I hate having to draw this parallel, but it is done so much better. It is done so well. And you have pictures of people that you know who they are. And it's fractions of a second. This is not a long time. This is literally just someone from the prop department having printed them out beforehand and then giving us tenth of a second time. You seriously have to go through the scene, freeze frame by freeze frame by freeze frame by freeze frame to see it all. But Lucifer knows their audience and they know that people will take the fucking time to do this. And it made me so incredibly happy. Exactly. Another very, very amazing thing. It's not Lauren German in the fucking bed. That lady was very, very, very good as well. She was very good, Chloe. I actually looked up her name and she is like a, a really, really good actress. Also, she kind of looks a little bit like Chloe's mom. Yeah, like uh, Penelope Decker closeness was, was there. Which makes absolute sense. And I like that they went that route because that is a good option. Yeah, absolutely. And then Rory comes back from the past. And Chloe, of course, knows what happened. Yeah, she was waiting for this for 60-something years. <laughs> yes. So it's a really nice conversation that they finally get to be open with each other, very much open. And because Chloe knows there is afterlife, she knows that they will see each other again. And so does Rory. Which kind of takes a bit away the sting of emotional pain in this scene, right? Yeah, it cheapens the pain that she's suffering. It's a bit weird, yeah. Because it's like nobody needs to be said. The second she dies, Rory should be able to visit her anyway. So what's the deal? Yeah, I, I suppose it's just an ending of a chapter and that can be very emotionally taxing. I feel like the most emotional part in this moment is that now Rory finally knows the truth and Chloe can actually be open and honest with her. Yes, in the last seconds of her life. Now she is no longer being bound by the promise Rory extracted from Lucifer. And by proxy from Chloe. Chloe says one thing here that I did not like. And that is no parent wants to see their child in pain. But it's part of the job. Not really a fan of that line. Especially in that context. It's a bit weird. I get the sentiment behind it. Because basically you can't spare your children all the pain. Because they need to go through their experiences. But in this setup it is very problematic to me. Because the main part of the pain that Rory goes through. Is because her parents promised her to keep up the charade that her father just straight up vanished and thus basically having her mother lie to her her entire life up to this point. And then Chloe passes away and she gets to heaven. Well, no, no, she goes to the afterlife. This is not heaven. This is the in-between. We've seen heaven. Is it? Okay. This is the... You've seen a good place, right? <laughs> this is the waiting room. This is the couch. I asked you to watch the good place. Of course I've seen the good place. Just making sure. This is the couch. This is the room. 
This is not yet heaven because we've seen heaven. And Ames picks her up there. And you know what? My only thought about that was that I wish that if there is an afterlife, I will have such perfect hair in my afterlife. My thought is if there's an afterlife, nobody better put me in this fucking ugly clothes. Who dressed her? Did you see what she was wearing? No, apparently. She was wearing white. Yeah, it's not about the color, it's about the cut. The clothing she is wearing is atrocious and extremely unchloe. So whoever decides what you wear when you go into the afterlife, they better not fuck with me. If they put me in something like this, I'm gonna straight up murder them. Again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and also, just in case you didn't notice, slow-mo number Four. Four is not even that bad. You just made it sound like there is a slow motion in every scene when you were ranting about it at the beginning. Question. Does a manigot meet every single soul or just the special ones? Just the special ones. You think so? Who meets the others? Nobody. How does it work then? They just go directly to heaven or hell. That is disappointing, but probably right. At this point, last song of the episode and the show starts playing. And of course, it is a song that I have had to cover for my Devils in the Music. And it is Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Out of all bands in the world, My Chemical Romance, ladies and gentlemen. And it is, in my opinion, by far one of the best chosen songs when it comes to fitting the scene. I can't imagine anything better. If you didn't, go back to the scene. It's at 48 minutes and 10 seconds. And watch this again and listen to the lyrics because the lyrics of this song are so incredibly spot on. It is actually painful. Amenadiel says, are you ready to go home? And we cut to hell. And we go through the pathways of hell and we pass a few doors and we come up to one door. And this door is the door of Linda's office. It is familiar. This is so well done. I am so incredibly happy that he actualized Linda's door. He didn't make his own door. No, the entire setting where we're in, this is Linda's office. Because in the evolution of hell, it actually makes sense that it takes uncountable millennia for him to progress from being the Linda of hell to being his own version of a therapist. So this worked extremely well for me. In the beginning, it is easier to copy and to emulate. And then once you have the handle on this, and given the fact that now we learned that Reese, Linda's ex, apparently is still stuck in his hell loop. So Lucifer is not yet the greatest therapist the world has ever seen because Reese is still stuck in his hell loop. So he has not progressed far enough yet to have his own door. So that actually worked really, really well for me and probably wasn't even meant to be that deep. We have several people sitting on this couch and this has been a point of contention between the two of us, I feel like from the moment we recorded the special. Yes, not just us, but like this is a point of debate between a lot of Lucifans out there, I've noticed. And you are firmly camp perfect selection of people. Yes. And I am firmly camp, I hate this. <laughs> okay, so I know that you're going to have your arguments. I'm going to present my argument first because it's not that long. But why do I believe that 
these people are perfect. First of all, from the show point of view, it's a perfect selection for us as viewers because we have somebody we just saw. We have somebody who was important enough, but way in the past. So we still remember who he is. It's not just some random vampire from season one. And we have a random person that just kind of happens to be there. So I like the diversity of the couch. It is a confirmation that he's working with everyone and not just people that he has come across. So that's the show point of view. I love the salty side remark, by the way. I heard it. I've noticed it. I appreciate it. You are perfection. Thank you. Thank you. Now, from Lucifer point of view as how it works within the story, it's set already in this scene. Everyone can be redeemed. If the devil can be redeemed, anybody can. To me, this means anybody can get a chance to be redeemed. And how you're going to work with that chance is up to you. I can definitely see Reese spending less time on this than Vincent. I can definitely see somebody like Dan spending a very small amount of time on the couch in the grand scheme of things compared to somebody like what's his face from episode two, the photographer type, sociopath. It does, of course, bring in the question of people who are unable to feel these kinds of emotions, like guilt. But we have, this is not something that we deal with within the Lucifers, at least not so it gets resolved. So to me, the chance of redemption must be offered to everybody. It is up to the person itself how long it's gonna take them to get out of that loop. You said a lot of things that I agree with and a lot of things that I hardly disagree with. Let me work backwards. I actually think that the show addressed and resolved the what about people who don't feel guilt issue because Lamec in this episode explicitly says that he has never in his life felt guilt. Oh. And after Lucifer whispered in his ear he felt guilt for the very first time. That makes sense. Thank you. So apparently Lucifer has the capability of making people feel guilt who were incapable of feeling guilt before. Oh that's bad for serial killers. Yeah but that would fix the but what about people who don't feel guilt then they would not be stuck in a hell loop. If The devil has the capability of having you feel guilt. It could even mean that even in the past, people going into hell, even if they had been incapable of feeling guilt while alive, would now be feeling guilt that they're in a hell. So that is something that I feel has been addressed. And actually in a way that I have been complaining about other things, it was one sentence and it worked for me. This is how I wanted several things. And this was done and I really appreciate it. So I vehemently disagree that every person needs to be redeemable. Oh, not saying that they need to be redeemable. I'm I'm saying that they all need to have the chance to be redeemable. Yeah, and I disagree with that. Okay. In fact, I actually think it is incredibly damaging that in fiction we tend to prefer to have our villains as bad but likable, redeemable characters. And it doesn't work for me mostly because of if the devil can be redeemed, so can be everyone else. And I'm going to say this again in my final thoughts. Lucifer is not the worst that humanity has to offer. Lucifer is the best. And having him as a gauge that just because he was redeemable, every horrifying soul can is an equation that I detest. And this is why I don't like this. I agree with you that from a storytelling point of view, these three characters make the most sense. Yes, I can't say anything against this and this actually uh, strikes one of my complaints. Yay. 
But before I wrap up this scene, Lucifer says one thing that is, in my opinion, one of the most important sentences. And if you don't understand why, you need to listen to my devils in the details. And that is, fate is just a result of the choices that you make. And I'm not going to lie, before I did my research for the devils in the details, I hated this sentence. And after I did my research for the devils in the details, I wholeheartedly agree with it. So even if you become a patron for just a second to listen to this one bonus episode I actually highly recommend it I wouldn't say one second because this bonus episode is probably going to be about three hours long but you can download it and then stop being a patron basically so that actually made a ginormous difference for me and I had to rewrite part of my notes ooh because I absolutely hated this when I watched it and then I did my research and I had to go back and rewrite it nice <laughs> but now the therapy session gets interrupted by a knock on the door. And apparently he's expecting pastries, which I kind of love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and donuts. I never got pastries at my therapy sessions. Me neither. Wrong therapist. Actually, listeners, if you ever got pastries at your therapist, I would love to know that. Like, I've never heard of any therapist handing out pastries. So I would actually be curious if that happened ever to anyone. So please let us know. But now he opens the door. It's not pastries. It's something much sweeter. <laughs> oh, wow. It's Chloe. It is Chloe, indeed. Yeah. It's beautiful because she looks at him and she says, I thought that you could use a partner. And it's a callback to all of that. And they're partners forever. And it's just so beautiful. They're partners till the end, you want to say, right? Because that's what the episode But the is. end has no end. Exactly. There is no end. And that means they're partners till the end. Yay. I would not be me if I didn't point out a last hilarious inconsistency because we agree that he was in group therapy session right so the in session light should have been on while he was in session but it wasn't but it turns on the second he starts making out with chloe and closing the door so where did the other three go are you just watching them yeah just sitting there or do you think he has the power to just magic them away into their respective cells i'd say he just has the power to magic them away but the light comes on and this is the end. And we go fade into the black. This is the end of the world as we know it. With Welcome to the Black Parade roaring along with the credits. And that means that I am here to start the final, final thoughts. <sighs> on a rewatch, I definitely noticed details that could have been handled differently. But all over, from my point of view, the finale holds up. We get the opportunity to find closure for every character we have on the show. Lucifer leaving was Rory's idea and that was a solution that I didn't anticipate. But it really works for me. Because she's right. Her childhood, as much as Lucifer wanted to be there, is a blip compared to the rest of her life. And that is what I hope for every finale of a beloved show. Give me something that will surprise me, but won't blow up everything you've worked for for the entirety of the show. Music choice is another way to do that. I would never in a million years expect to hear MCR as the final <laughs> song of Lucifer. Never. Yet, it works absolutely flawlessly. So thank you, writers, creators, artists, actors, stunt performers, everybody who was involved in wrapping up this story the way you did. Because this is something I will happily rewatch until my eyes bleed. And your heart. We don't talk about Bruno. And with that, 
she fell asleep. You phrased this in a much more positive way, but <laughs> the intro to my final thoughts, to my final, final thoughts, is very similar to yours. I have to admit, this episode worked a lot better for me the first time I watched it. It still works well enough for me, but without the emotional turmoil of binging through the half season, I noticed a lot more inconsistencies than I did before. I love everything about Ella, Mace, Eve, and of course, Dan, Charlotte. This is absolute perfection, and I could not have wished for a better ending for any of those five people. I am, once again, a bit disappointed that all we see of Linda is her being a mother. She is and was so much more. And especially since Lucifer basically became the Linda of hell, I would have really wanted to see her continue her work as Earth's greatest therapist. Next up, Amenadiel. I am a great fan of his hands-on God approach, but I came across something online lately that I have not been able to get out of my brain. Amenadiel got everything, while Lucifer got nothing. Amenadiel is still the favorite son, the golden child, and the one whose life is blessed. Amenadiel is even the one bringing Chloe home from the hospital, it seems. So their relationship with each other must have grown a lot closer than ever before. So not only did Amenadiel get the entire life he wanted while living out his purpose, but in a way, he also got Lucifer's life. He got to be there for all of Rory's firsts, and Lucifer didn't. And that does not seem fair to me. I do not blame a Manadiel for this or even a Manigod, but it simply does not feel right to me. And ever since I came across this parallel between a Manadiel having been the favorite son and thus being the one who actually gets the blessed life, I have not been able to get it out of my brain. Rory being the one and only authority on time travel without being questioned at all seems very lazy to me, writing-wise, even if she is absolutely correct about how it works within the Luciverse. And her flipping her position from very deep anger and resentment to I wouldn't change a thing about my life felt extremely rushed. Lucifer talking to her for about 30 seconds while her nearly murdering Lamech is not enough to rid a heart of decades of trauma, especially trauma that in this case was self-caused and supported by her own mother. To put it simply, her entire life is a lie because she asked for it. And that is incredibly fucked up. Chloe becoming a lieutenant within less than nine months after having quit the force feels extremely rushed. We talked about this. And it feels very much white privilege and white savior at the same time. Also, literally, the only change we see is Sonia finally getting her well overdue and well-deserved promotion, which is a nice touch, but it is also very little change. I expected to have made this clear throughout the episode, but I think I haven't. Lucifer's realization of and supposed choice to follow his purpose feels extremely externally motivated to me. It is not coming from himself. Chloe spelled it out for him and Rory made him promise to go into it, basically. Given the fact that apparently dead knew all this would play out exactly like this, makes it all feel like there never was anything as free will, only fate, or maybe even destiny. And given the fact that Lucifer has to spend the time of Chloe's entire lifespan in hell, means that while this was only a few decades for Chloe, for him, this is uncountable millennia of loneliness without any contact to his friends, we have to assume. So he is like literally just by himself, because the alternative is that not just Rory's mother, but everyone in her life lied to her her entire life, which would be even more fucked up. So while I still absolutely understand how 
and why we came to this ending. And this ending does not in any way, shape or form ruin the show for me. It feels so much more unfair to me. Right after binging, I did honestly not understand how any people could not like this finale. But now I not only see their issues, I actually agree with quite a few of them. The claim that fate is simply the result of the choices we make has not enough substance or setup within the show. And this finale makes it very clear that Lucifer never had what we casually consider free will. But throughout six seasons of this show, our expectations have been made very, very deliberately in a way that we were assuming Lucifer and Free Will were inseparable. I actually wonder if this is the same for people who are not familiar with the comics at all, because in the comics, Free Will is so much more the focal point. But to me, it feels like even the show made it very, very clear that Lucifer is all about choice, about Free Will. His rebellion and his fall were necessary to give him the understanding of how to fall and rise again. Chloe was specifically made for him and thus is the one to point out his purpose as health therapist to him. His father knew that this was exactly how it was all going to play out. His path was set from the moment he was created by his parents. Add to all this that in my opinion, not every person, especially not every character, needs to be redeemable. Quite the opposite. I think it's actually harmful to paint every soul in hell as capable and deserving of forgiveness. Lucifer was and is not the worst of humanity. Quite the opposite. He's actually part of the best. Though he never had a choice, he now, after countless millennia of doing what he was made for, he does not have to suffer through it alone. He gets to be with his one true love. If I actually consider all of this, good or bad, it's something we're going to be talking about in the summoning episode. Because non-surprising, I have opinions and we're out of time. And with this we say thank you for listening. Please find us on our various social media. We love interacting with you, either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards, such as early release, merch and hours of bonus content. Yes. Hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really do help. Or telling all your friends about us because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you! Bye! Bye.